0: episode 154 of Late Night Linux, recorded on the 6th of December, 2021. I'm Joe, and with me are Phelan. There's a storm coming. (laughs) Graham. There's a storm already been. (laughs) And Will. Hello. Yes, there are many storms coming. There's still people in the north of England with no power, 10 days or 11 days after the last one, and now another one's coming. But it's also nearly Christmas. It's very dark, and Christmas is just around the corner. But uh, that's still in the future. Let's talk about the news for now. The first is Coalition for a Level Playing Field. EU tech sector fights for a level playing field with Microsoft. It seems to be Nextcloud are the ringleaders here, but there's some other companies involved, basically trying to do Microsoft with some more antitrust stuff, talking about them bundling OneDrive into Windows and that sort of thing, saying it's unfair. Are they going to get anywhere with this? Sadly, I don't think that they will, We've seen
1: this sort of story go around a few times, and they are no doubt fighting the good fight, and they have, you know, good on their side. But at the end of the day, nothing really ever changes. We've seen this before with Microsoft. We've seen it before with Google. Nothing seems to be different. Well, we saw the browser ballot on Windows. That was good, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. But now look where we're back again. Microsoft pushing Edge. When you try and even download Chrome, for example, it tells you not to do that and that you should continue to use Edge. Meanwhile, Google are pimping Chrome in their search homepage. So it seems to me like things are exactly the same.
2: Mm, Sadly, I agree with Will. I mean... And we've seen it before. It reminds me of a situation where you've got somebody that keeps putting in a planning application for a new housing estate. They've got all the resources. They just keep doing it and keep doing it. And in the end, they kind of succeed. And this is, this is kind of Microsoft's old modus operandi. They've got nothing to lose from doing it this way. And it's good to highlight the fact, I suppose. But I don't know what we can do to actually turn things around. But they've changed.
0: <laughs> Some bits of Microsoft have changed. Others haven't.
2: Yeah, it's a disturbing amount of money that
3: they charge for laying you know, the likes of Outlook Online and OneDrive, etc. So, yeah,
2: I can't see them going down without a fight on this one. I mean, as you know, I'm pragmatic about these things and I think the battle's been lost in lots of different ways. I, In the UK, I, the school kids seem to use Teams, for example, and 365 for all their docs and, it already is a monoculture, and it always has been a monoculture for so many, for so, for so many years. And it would be great if somebody realised that what we need is a more level playing field and more kind of
0: diversity. I thought that Google Drive and Docs was doing well in schools. Is that only in America?
2: Yeah, not in my experience. You're right. I mean, the, the, there's been a huge surge in Chromebooks being bought and people using them for, in schools, um, but not directly with my experience, no my son's
1: school has changed recently from using gmail and google classroom and google docs for everything to using the microsoft equivalent i don't know what the driver was behind that but that's like in the last month or so an anonymous envelope
0: Mm. (laughs) more likely a good sales call or something yeah and i think
2: uh, i'm changing it is changing the subject slightly but i think that's really sad i mean uh, my daughter's school is it's got two thousand students. it's huge. It should have the resources to have an i t department um you know who can maintain a next cloud instance and use it as an opportunity for people to learn about it, students as well. I's what I think school should be doing rather than just kind of going along with the status quo or promoting a single way of doing things just just to kind of broaden people's perspective because i know we've complained about it before but it's it's not good enough when people just think of presentations as powerpoint or as spreadsheets as excel you know it's it's not ultimately helpful or creative or going to lead to any kind of innovation but what can we do about it and we've we've never found an answer before other than you know presenting linux and open source as a better option
0: well, it feels like what the next cloud folks are doing here is a good start. They're hassling the European Commission and trying to get some shit done. They started with the German authorities and they've sort of escalated it. And wouldn't it be nice if we could uh, have some sort of commission?
3: No, no, you left. <laughs> Don't let the door hit you on the way out. <laughs> no, I think this is good. I mean, the EU does have a fairly all right record dealing with the likes of Google microsoft and maybe apple coming up soon and i think this is just way i think we have to just keep fighting yeah, even if it seems pointless i think you have to just keep nagging away at them and trying to keep it
0: legit as such yeah so i do wish them good luck but i think that ultimately you are right that this is it might win the odd battle but microsoft and google and the other tech giants are just too big to lose the war Failure. I stole two things that you would have otherwise put in KDE corner, and they're going in the main news this time. It's about damn time. Yeah, (laughs) been promoted. So you often link to Nate's blog, Adventures in Linux and KDE. Well, he wrote a couple of posts. One called "Who is the target user," and then a follow up called "More about those zero dot users." Now you read the second one first, and were quite confused.
3: I did. I thought there was something to do with like versioning or something like zero dot. I was like, okay, does that mean dot zero? Is it like people who get on, on the first version of something? I was like, no, <laughs> no, clearly not. I was very confused the more and more I got into the article.
0: No, it turns out this came from a tabletop role-playing game called Vampire of the Masquerade. And it's the various skill levels, one dot to five dots. And it's basically about how good you are with computers. And... He is making the point that most Linux and open source software is really aimed at quite high experience users and that he thinks we should, for want of a better word, dumb it down a bit to include people who have a relatively basic knowledge of computers.
3: Yeah, and but I think there's one good point that he did make where he says, we don't necessarily in, say, KDE have to go all the way down to zero dot users as he says maybe we can get to one dot users up to the top level and by the fact of the adaptability of kd software that can still mean that the power user can customize to the way they want to or with same defaults and polishing of paper cuts etc you end up with a very good system that someone who doesn't really know or is a beginner can actually still use but not try to aim for the very very like sort of Apple-esque like way of doing things that elementary and Gnome might do.
0: Yeah, that was proper shots fired at them saying, yeah, leave the, the real people who've got no clue to use elementary and Gnome.
3: But I mean, just look at the way they're designed. They're designed to not have choices because they make the choice for you. Um, whereas in KD, that is not the case because nobody's choice should ever be the same as someone else's.
1: I think Ubuntu put a lot of work in its early days into exactly this concept the Linux for human beings ethos was what Ubuntu was all about. Um, They invested a huge amount of design effort and software development effort into trying to appeal to zero dot users and had some mild success, but that was an enormous amount of effort and an enormous work not only on the design side but also on the engineering side. It's a noble goal, but I think it is a huge, huge, huge task.
0: Yeah, then they just threw it all out the window when Unity came along. Indeed. I think it's impossible.
2: I think in places where this has happened, and I can only really think of Chrome OS, it's taken a commercial kind of imperative that we just don't have on Linux. There is no commercial motivation for creating a really simple, easy to use version of the Linux desktop, other than maybe, you know, a distro in kiosk mode with a browser, which may be good enough. There's just no reason to do it because. You're not making it for yourself. And a lot of what we use Linux for is because other people have solved problems that we have for themselves, and it ultimately makes everything complicated. No one has really, for themselves, made Linux simple. Um, And there's no commercial imperative to do it. I I don't see. I don't think this is ever going to happen. And I'm okay with that. Yeah, it's funny because I'm exactly
3: the same. I'm also okay with it not being too... It's not an elitist sense, but I just think those other systems kind of are out there already and as you say the effort to get to the point where something is easy involves exponential levels of development time in the background to make all the edge cases smooth those all out you know think ahead of what the user is going to do all the usability testing and i know con did a whole load of that i remember the guys talking about that before and i'm sure maybe even will when you were still there they were still doing it like who would have the resources to do that and how you can think ahead for all the crazy ways somebody's going to do something wrong and then, you know, bubble wrap all around that. But I don't think that's also the case where we ignore things. I think we try and make the software as the best we can, you know, eliminate paper cuts, you know, stupid things like typos, think things through how GUI design elements work, you know, even things like Kirigami and KDE where they can make a, you know, can rapidly do. ui for various applications much quicker than a standard one and then just try and polish everything and be it should be as best as it can almost and then you know if people are interested they'll come and find that
0: eventually okay this episode is sponsored by linode go to linode.com slash late night linux and see why linode has been voted the top infrastructure as a service provider by both g2 and TrustRadius. From their award-winning support offered 24-7, 365 to every level of user, to ease of use and setup, it's clear why developers have been trusting Linode for projects both big and small since 2003. Deploy your entire application stack with Linode's one-click app marketplace, or build it all from scratch and manage everything yourself with supported centralized tools like Terraform. Linode offers great price-to-performance value for all compute instances, including GPUs, as well as block storage, Kubernetes, and their upcoming bare-metal release. Linode makes cloud computing fast, simple, and affordable, allowing you to focus on your projects, not your infrastructure. So go to linode.com slash late-night Linux, create a free account with your Google or GitHub account or your email address, and you'll get $100 in credit. That's linode.com slash late-night Linux. Onto a bit of admin then. First of all, thank you everyone who supports us with PayPal and Patreon. We really do appreciate that. You can go to latenightlinux.com slash support for more details. And remember, for $5 or more per month on Patreon, you can get an advert-free RSS feed. And if you want to get in contact, latenightlinux.com slash contact. And maybe send in some of your predictions for us to steal in a few weeks' time.
3: Oh, yes, please. It is the most stressful part of this bloody podcast, is that stupid predictions.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Or go back and listen to our predictions episode and uh, tell us what you thought of uh, the predictions we made last time. There are a couple of Raspberry Pi stories that caught my eye over the last couple of weeks. Firstly, there's a new version of Raspberry Pi OS called Legacy, which instead of being based on Debian Bullseye which is the latest version of Debian, this is based on Buster, the previous version. Because when they upgraded to Bullseye, a few things broke, essentially. And so they've sort of had to do this by the sounds of things. Yeah, so in
1: Gordon's blog post, he talks about the technical reasons uh, why they've had to do this. And one of those is talking about how difficult it is to build Chromium. And now they've got a specific hardware-accelerated Chromium that they're using on the newer hardware that doesn't work on the old stuff. And this is a story which we've heard about before when Canonical talked about moving Chrome to the snap because of how hard it was to build it for these old, crusty old uh, kernels and tool chains and all that sort of thing. So I think that this story is sort of representative of quite how much hardware Raspberry Pi have got out there that they need to keep supporting. I think it's good that they are able to keep supporting it. These sorts of problems are not going to go away, and this seems like a tidy
2: solution. Yeah, I thought the same thing. I also inadvertently noticed this when I updated one of my Raspberry Pis just last week and saw that the repo had changed or the packages had changed to being... Bracketed with legacy, and that really scared me because my immediate thought was, "Oh, <laughs> these things are no longer supported." So, I don't think the messaging's terribly clear in this either. That you know, it's going to be supported until June 2024, and there's nothing that urgent. But it's unclear, even though it seems like they're just splitting their efforts.
0: Could it be argued that perhaps they should have done a better job of the upgrade, and then they wouldn't have needed to do this?
2: Yeah, I think so. I mean, they certainly have the resources. And that also is something that should be important to them. But maybe it shows you even with the resources and all the best will in the world, you just can't. It's just not worth the engineering effort in the end. People are just going to write a new OS to their SD card and move on.
1: I wonder how many actual Pi 1s there are still in regular production. I suppose the the zero is probably more likely to be being used in a lot of places uh, but I would imagine most of the old old original Pi 1s and 2s are probably dead by now.
3: They are not. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, I have two Pi 1s that are still working. I mean, it monitors the heating system. So, I mean, it's not exactly doing much. It pulls the thing every 60 seconds and that's about it. And then hoovers down the electricity reading and measures a few temperature sensors off pipes.
1: But the you know the power supplies or the, the capacitors on board still seem to be working fine. Mine just died; they just stopped working, and I think it's a power issue.
3: Not only that, is it, is it sitting inside a heating closet with about an average forty degree temperature in there, <laughs> and across the old giant SD card, like physically large sized yep. SD card. Wow. <laughs> ironically that one has lasted longer than the one that sits in the cool room that everything is fine as a modern one i've gone through about five on that
2: one i still got one running as well but that's because i um i ordered a couple of Micro SD cards from Amazon. Thinking I got micro SD cards, but I didn't know I got 264 gig full fat SD cards. The oh, only oh, thing you can use them for is plugged into those old Raspberry
0: Pis. It's ironic you say that, but I have exactly the same
3: situation where I bought when I went.
2: oh no, yeah. <laughs> to buy
0: a new one. You should have just returned them to Amazon so they could put them in a landfill or burn them. No, that's just wrong, isn't it?
2: It was my mistake, but
0: yeah. What about these rumours of Raspberry Pi trading going public then?
2: Yeah, I think this is quite important. I have no idea, right? No idea. So this is pure conjecture. I think there's probably some truth, and it seems a long way from the initial motivation behind creating the Raspberry Pi Foundation. And I suppose it's been going this way. There was the split between the foundation and the commercial company, which has been looking after a lot of the other side of it. And Obviously, there's an ambition to have a commercial side, and maybe that's a good thing. The rumours of an IPO is probably the final piece in the puzzle to creating a more commercial technology arm for, the, the, I'm sure, maybe even better support the foundation were it, than if it didn't exist.
0: Yeah, reports of a valuation of more than 370 million quid. It's quite a lot of money. It's a real technology success story in the UK. We don't have many of them, do we? So maybe we should celebrate.
2: Yeah, certainly Evan not paying himself for all those early years is paying off in the end.
0: Nicholas Fraser ruffled some feathers this week with his post, Flatpak is not the future. It's quite long, well it's very long, and he goes and shits on Flatpak, Snap, not so much AppImage, and basically says that we shouldn't be adopting these new technologies, they're shit. We should stick to the old-fashioned way of shared libraries, proper package managers, and... Get off my lawn, essentially. Fraser for king. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I thought you might agree, fail him somehow. Will Thompson, who works for Endless OS, responded via a post talking about the size issues and said that that was rather overblown, but he didn't really address many of the other things that Nicholas had come up with. Reading through it, I did find myself agreeing with quite a lot of what he was saying.
2: Which bits in particular, the advantages of the old dependency way of doing things are worth the trade-off? Well, for me, it was more the fact that
3: for all the sort of sandboxing that is touted for a lot of them, it doesn't seem to be necessarily as sandboxed as we'd like to make to believe. And yes, the reuse of code seems terrible. And it's almost like this building an os inside an os so we don't have to deal with packaging i mean i can kind of agree with that it sounds terrible and it does sound stupid every time you download a docker instance they're huge and it's got so many packages i mean i know martin Wimpress talked about the company that he works for the new one uh, docker slim or slim ai or whatever it was called something something to do with slimming anyway
0: yeah well, docker slim is the product from Slim AI, the company
3: that would explain it all then so like his company, I mean, for when he started explaining how his his product worked, I thought, okay, that actually does sound good. Because to me, it just seems like a bunch of developers firing stuff over a wall into a big giant block that, oh, as long as it works, don't touch it. Oh, it's all good. And then you have horrible out-of-date SSL libraries and things like that. So I don't necessarily overly trust some of those packages, maybe. This could be not justified at all. I would like to point out, like, I'm not trying to say I've analyzed the top 10 that I would use and therefore, you know, can make a really educated statement on this. It's just I know when I'm developing something, if it works, I'm not touching it unless I have a good reason
0: to. I think for me, it wasn't anything in particular. It was just a culmination of all his arguments that sort of on their own somewhat rang true. And then when you read all of them, You think, well, yeah, maybe he's actually got a reasonable point here. The size of them, okay, disk space is cheap, you could argue. And if you've got a decent internet connection, for me, that's not a huge issue. It's not, but it is things that need to be updated. And
3: that's lots of different things and lots of different packages that need to be updated all at once. Like, it is a a wider
0: attack surface. Yeah, exactly. So I take that point on board. And the security thing as well, claiming things are sandboxed when they're just fucking not. I think it was a really good point. It's this false sense of security that you get from it because it's very, very difficult to properly sandbox an application and then have it actually be useful to you. And how Flatpak in particular, the permission system isn't like that on mobile where you have very specific APIs to request a permission for the file system or whatever. And so in iOS or Android, that application requests it via the proper channels and then you get a, a dialogue and then you say, no, I don't want it to, or yes, okay. Whereas with Flatpak, it's just not written as well according to what Nicholas has to say here. You know, he he basically says that Flatpak needs a complete rewrite from top to bottom. He does also have a go at snaps as well, but that uh, it seems like he maybe hasn't studied them to quite the extent that he has flat packs. But I was also reading through it, thinking this is a, r- a real old version of how computers work. Like, get with the times, mate! Like, things have gone containerized, and there's nothing you can do to stop it.
3: I think that depends on what software you're using, though. I mean, for me, how many snaps do I use? I don't use any. I, well, I use one. It determined Chromium is the one, the one that I use. But and I guess Firefox in the future, maybe if that becomes default. But. Steam is the only place where I think I'm using something that is outside of the package manager. And I think if you're using a lot of other non foss applications, then you might be more impacted by this than, say, the likes of
2: myself. I think it's clear that we all need to do more, those of us who are working on solving this packaging problem, so that there isn't so much opportunity for not not debate, but that there's a clearer argument for using Flatpak or Snaps and not so much criticism of the way things are done, because they should be clearly better that that there isn't too much to worry about. And I think, you know, especially on the desktop, we're not doing a good enough job with that. If you look at the engineering that goes into SnapD, and obviously I'm on the SnapD team, so I don't want to, be negative about it. But a lot of the effort, it's a secure system that's got a lot of deployments on Ubuntu Core and IoT. Um, It would be great if we could afford more resource on the desktop. And I really hope that Canonical does in the future. But it's such a difficult problem to crack. And I guess starting at that low level is the
0: right place to start. But we just wish that those kind of things bubbled up. But there is a huge difference between digital signage, say, iot stuff where it can all be properly sandboxed and you haven't got much user interaction with it at all versus a desktop where you've got huge amounts of user interaction and you can't just silo it off from the file system otherwise it's just useless
2: But, I mean, those things are running on Ubuntu or they're running on a core image of Ubuntu, which is, you know, what you guys were talking about before with the base images and a whole OS running as a a container. Mm. So they are solving the low-level problems first because they need to be solved first because then you build on... It's just the trouble is that Linux is so complex, which is why there's
0: been so many problems with font caching and startup times. But I remember back in the early days of this show, before Will and Graham, you two, arrived... We would talk about this, and the conclusion that we came to, I think, was that why do you need to sandbox things because you don't trust them? Well, why are you using something that you don't trust? If you trust the operating system and the people who are packaging the software for the operating system, then you don't need containerization and sandboxing. Is that just an old-fashioned way of looking at it? It's seemingly so, but...
2: I honestly think... In some respects, it is. I I do like the idea of, say, installing, I don't know, Home Assistant from a snap or whatever, and then not having to worry about whether it's from a PPA or whether you have to do a cron job on system updates or whether it's part of the whole system update or you have to wait till a system update. It's going to be refreshed four times a day, and as soon as there's a, an update, you'll get it. And also, it can't escape, especially with kind of server-side stuff or stuff that communicates outside your machine. Um, or even proprietary stuff like Spotify, for example. You don't have to worry about what other access it has to your machine or, or Chrome. I do like that, yeah. The other side to that story, well, or, or, sorry,
1: the same side, part, another part of that story, is that it's building a system which means that you can download software willy-nilly, and not have to put that thought into it that it doesn't matter if you trust the developer or not because the surroundings are going to protect you and that in turn enables a massive ecosystem of apps where app developers can quickly and easily put their stuff in a store and people can quickly and easily download it decide whether they like it or not delete it and you know it's all gone so i think that that snap and flatpak are building the foundations to get to a point where there can be an Android-sized app store for Linux, and it doesn't matter if there are bad actors in the mix that the stuff that they're producing won't harm you. The fundamental reality is that we're never going to get to an an Android-sized ecosystem. We're never going to get to a tenth of that, I would guess. So I I kind of think that it is a bit of a solution to a problem that doesn't exist.
3: Yeah, I mean, who wants... The Android ecosystem, like i the only time I ever looked on the App Store for things, it's, it's just like seventy five billion far apps, and then three hundred fifty thousand of the same app that looks like it's a copy of a previous other app, and even the Microsoft Store, it's exactly the same. I've gone onto Microsoft Store looking for uh, like an authentic token thing from RSA, and I looked at it, and I went, "Is this a fake one?" and Only because I was working with a client they said, no, no, that's the legit one. I was like, oh, okay, fair enough then. That's the RSA app. And it does not look legit. And all of these app stores, it's like I don't want to go outside of my distro because the whole reason I use a distro is I trust that distro. And it feels really weird to go and use these external app stores in a system that I trust. Whereas in perhaps a phone OS, maybe I don't trust Google that much and therefore I don't care and I stick on my various apps all over the place. I don't know. I I find it very conflicting whether we actually do want that system. I mean, I'd rather we had decent curated good apps and a decent subset of them. I don't need 50,000 different note-taking
0: apps. But how are you going to get the proprietary stuff? You can't expect Adobe to package their proprietary applications for... 50 different distros
3: do you want my opinion uh, that's fine they can fuck right <laughs> off i don't want them either like I, equally i can see that people do want this stuff but i i
0: don't know I, do we want to let them all in yes otherwise we're not going to get people onto the platform and the platform will die we need to have proprietary software as an option i'm not going to advocate installing it by default and forcing it onto people. But giving people the choice to use Adobe or whatever it is on Linux, I think is key to the long-term survival of desktop Linux.
3: You're probably right. And yes, maybe. But I just, I don't know. I don't know whether I feel that the current system, it feels like they're so partisan where I find Flatpak is exceptionally gnome orientated. I could be wrong, but it just feels that way. It feels like a gnome project. Snap feels like a canonical project, therefore they're not going to touch that. AppImage, God knows. I have no idea how AppImage works at all. I've never used one, but I I don't know. I just, I don't like the way it goes. It feels like lots of siloed, separate, unmixable projects that are trying to work together for the same goal, but maybe fighting against each other in the same process. Linux really, essentially, is what I'm saying. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
0: Okay, this episode is sponsored by CBT Nuggets training for IT professionals or anyone looking to build IT skills. Go to cbtnuggets.com slash late night linux and sign up for a seven-day free trial. The on-demand virtual labs mean you can build practical experience with the commands, config, scripts and everything you need to get the most out of each course. Another standout feature is the accountability coaching service available to all learners with a subscription which gives you access to a real person who will help you craft a personalised learning plan and set goals, and will check in with you to keep you accountable. So start your free 7-day trial today at cbtnuggets.com late-night Linux. It includes unlimited access to all course materials, including virtual labs. That's cbtnuggets.com late-night Linux. Let's do a quick KDE corner before we get out of here then. The first one, icons everywhere.
3: Yeah, so Ken Vermette is talking about the Breeze Icons uh, Blue Ocean Initiative where they're essentially trying to tidy up the Mime and Places icons, trying and flesh that all out make sure that there's no sort of generic icons about the place. And in the meantime, they've also developed a sort of SVG pipeline because they're trying to increase the number of pixels, I guess, for people starting to use high DPI stuff, things like that. There's a lot more resolutions required to make everything look quite nice. And they have being quite smart in the fact that they've written a lot of python code for this pipelining stuff that means that they can actually process a load of icons together like sort of large quantities of them and not end up having to edit them manually afterwards but they're also making that available as a independent tool which they're kind of calling iconoclast at the moment but not sure and uh, that means that other
0: projects could use that to help with their stuff too fair enough and You apparently seem to think you're going to leave the house at some point. Ah, I did leave the house. Thank you very much.
3: I even flew to the UK. I went to Scotland. Oh, yeah. And I got to use KD Itinerary for the first time in about 20 months. (laughs) And did it work well? It did, yeah. It worked grand. It was great. Uh, It's a fantastic piece of software. I just hope that more people finally get to use it eventually in the next year or so. God knows. And yeah, they've done a load more updates on that and they've things like health certificates in there and things like that, which is quite cool. And work continues on it and it's really good. And uh, yeah, I got to use it in the wild, so to speak.
0: Nice. And what's this about digital signatures in Ocular then?
3: Yeah, so I guess a lot more paperless and people working remote. There's a lot more digitally signed PDFs going around for people requiring to use. So uh, NLNet, which is a non-profit web-based funding project in the Netherlands have funded the development of uh, digital signing support on Ocular's uh, PDFs. So that's available and it will be in the Android version as well. And uh, quite good to see that getting passed through and a a good project. NLNet doing some decent work with FOSS.
0: Fair enough. And uh, another one of Nate's blog posts then.
3: Yeah, really good one. Uh, Usual story every week. All the updates that go through, well, not all of them, he says there's only a a small amount of them, but the detail in there is quite cool. But uh, some good stuff and one that I actually quite found myself was the notification tool allows you to annotate things, which is quite handy, but it would only work on a screenshot. So I have taken a screenshot of a screenshot before I will admit to it. (laughs) I'm not proud of it, but I have done it uh, because I actually forgot to annotate it the first time. So you can actually annotate new or old ones these days. So that's good.
0: Nice. Right, well, we'd better get out of here then. We'll be back next week when we'll be talking about a sweet, sweet Arch-based distribution. But until then, I've been Joe. I've been Phelan. I've been Graham, And I've been Will. See you later.